Well, good morning, church family. So good to see you. If you're joining us online, thanks for being a part of our service that way. I got to say, I've been looking forward to this morning. It's so good to be speaking to people and not to, I can't tell you how uninspiring it is to speak to a camera that doesn't get my jokes, has no sense of humor. I didn't hear it laugh one time in the last 14 weeks. And so it's good to hear you. It's good to see you. And and we're glad that you're here. And uh, we're just excited to gather together. There's something that God blesses about coming together in the same space. And, and I just love this gathering, and I'm excited that we're headed back uh, really into full health and full strength. And we'll continue to pray for our community, pray for our city, pray for our state, pray for our country, pray for the world, um, that God will continue to lead us through this season in health and in wholeness. So as I was excited about this week, I was, I was, once we identified that we would reopen on June 28th, I kind of looked ahead in the preaching calendar. I was like, what topic are we going to be talking about? When, it, talking about when everybody comes back, what wonderful thing am I going to get to talk about? Uh, hopefully it'll be something encouraging and uplifting and make people feel great. And then I looked at the sermon series and I realized that in our third week of our series on union with Christ, this morning we're talking about holiness. <laughs> holiness. Welcome back to church. Let's talk about how God is good and you're not, right? <laughs> holiness. And I remember growing up, and I wasn't that excited about messages on holiness, because when I heard a message on holiness, the standard felt unreachable. Anybody ever feel that way? The standard felt unreachable. The task felt impossible, and my eventual failure felt inevitable. There's no way I was going to be able to do this. And when we talk about holiness, I think there's two questions that come up in the minds of people. And the first question is this, is it necessary You know, Jesus has done everything, right? Does it matter really how we live? Isn't there grace for how we live? Last week I heard my friend Brandon, a pastor in Virginia, preach on grace, and he said this. He said, grace is not just pardon, it's also power. Isn't that good? Grace is not just pardon, meaning forgiveness, clean slate, it's power. In other words, Jesus didn't come to earth and do what he did just to to get us out of something. He came to get us into something. And what he came to get us into was a holy life, a life that honors him and honors the Father. Second question that sometimes we come up against is holiness, is it even possible? And I, I was thinking, like, if I go to the doctor's office and the doctor says to me, David, and by the way, this conversation may or may not have actually happened multiple times in my adult life, David, you might want to lose a little weight. You know, your blood pressure's a little high, your weight's a little high, uh, you, you should probably, if I said to the doctor, Why, what's the point? which also may have been said at some point. What's the point? I'm never going to have the perfect body. I'm never going to have a chiseled chest. I'm never going to have a six-pack. I'm never going to have that beach body. I'm never going to look like someone on the cover of a magazine. What's the point? I'm never going to have a perfect body. What would the doctor say to me? It's not about perfection. It's about direction, right? So this morning, when we talk about holiness, I hope this will help some of you just lean in and listen and not feel the weight of it, because there is a weight to talking about holiness, But hear this this morning. It's not primarily about perfection because none of us on this side of eternity are going to be perfect. That's why Jesus came and lived perfect in our place. But it is about direction. What direction is your life headed in? 
And is the direction that your life is headed in a one that honors God and brings you into greater and greater holiness? So our main idea this morning is this simple truth that union with Christ is the only way to be holy. There's no shortcut. There's no other way. You, you can try. You can be as good as you can. We'll talk about that later. But union with Christ, the believer united with Christ, being in Christ, it's the only hope that any of us in this room have, whether we're children or adults, for holiness. And we're going to look at this text that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. I'm reading to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Paul writes these words. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, look at this phrase, blessed us in Christ. Union, right? He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing God wants to give to you is given to you because you're united with Christ. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is why God chose us, to be holy. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, there's the union with Christ, blessed in Jesus. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins or trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Isn't it good that Jesus, that God isn't stingy with his grace? He didn't just dribble his grace on you. He didn't just sprinkle. He lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So what we're going to do together in our time this morning is we're going to answer three questions about holiness. Number one, what does it mean to be holy? Number two, how do we try to be holy? And spoiler alert, come up short. Number three, how can we actually be holy? So the first question is, what does it mean to be holy? I want us to look at a passage really briefly here from the book of Ezra. Ezra's in the Old Testament. And just a little while ago, remember, we finished a series in the book of Esther, right? Esther and Ezra were contemporaries. Esther was still in Persia after having been dragged into exile by the Babylonians. But Ezra led Jewish people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so Ezra is rebuilding the temple, and he's giving instructions to the priests and to the Levites as to how the temple should be rebuilt and what it should look like. And he says in chapter 8, verse 28, it says, I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and then look at what I've highlighted, and the vessels are holy. That's odd. The vessels themselves are holy. What do we have here? Do we have very well-behaved forks? Very morally upright spoons? Are these vessels, are these bowls, are they just better behaved than the... No, that's not at all what it means. What does it mean? It means this. These vessels had been chosen and set apart for a very special purpose. These vessels were only to be used in the temple, only to be used for worship. These vessels were not to be brought home by the priest to, to have a meal in their own home because these vessels were holy. They were set apart. And that's what it means to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart, to be set apart for God's purposes and God's plans. And that's why I think about it. When we, when we say that God is holy, and he is, 
It's one of his attributes, and it's what, it's what all heaven sings about, holy, 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 right? When we say that God is holy, we're not saying that God is better behaved than us, that he keeps the rules better than us, that he doesn't say the words we say sometimes when we lose our temper, right? We're not saying that, although those things are all true. What we're saying is that there is a otherness about God that makes him so otherly from anything we could possibly imagine, experience, or be that he's holy because he's set apart. He's, he's so otherly. There's a joke in the food world that if you can't describe what a, what a meat tastes like, you just say it tastes like chicken, right? Everything that you're not sure, frog legs, they taste like chicken. And they actually do taste like chicken. Uh, you know, but if it's not a red meat and it's not a fish and it's not pork, it's just like, I don't know, it tastes like chicken, right? But every now and then, have you, have you ever eaten something, whether it's a dish or a vegetable or fruit, an ingredient, that you can't compare it to anything else? It's got an otherness about itself. I was trying to think of some examples. Maybe you'll think of some better ones than this. But I thought of a banana. Think about it. If someone's never eaten a banana, how would you explain to them what a banana tastes like? It's got its own taste. I mean, you say a banana tastes like a banana. I mean, a banana tastes like banana bread. Like, that's the best thing I could do. But what is it? Or I thought of an avocado. What does an avocado taste like? It's kind of its own thing, right? It's got its own, there's no way of describing it. And, and that's what it means when we say God is holy, that there's nothing like him. There's no one like him. There's nothing really to compare to him. He's been set apart completely. So if we are called to be holy, if we are called to be set apart, here's what it means. Being holy is not just about, listen, it's not just about being good. It's about being God's, belonging to God. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. And also, let me add this. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian here this morning, or if you're watching online and you're a believer, if you're holy, it means you've not just been set apart from some things. How many of you thank God you've been set apart from some things? There's some old habits, some things in your heart that you've been set apart from, but that's only half of holiness. You've been set apart from things, but you've also been set apart for something. God didn't set you apart like China. You know, you get your China on your wedding day, and you put it in your cabinet, and you never use it for 40 years of marriage, right? It just sits there. You dust it every now and then. It's like the sacred thing that it's like, why would we eat on those? Well, because they're plates. But that's, you know, it's like, that's China. We don't eat on those. Well, what's the point of them then? But that's what we do, right? We, we put these things away, and we, we treat them as they're sacred. And they, God didn't set you apart like your China ware up on a shelf. You're not, a tr- you're not just a trophy to God. You're a tool in his hand. And God has a purpose. He set us apart from things, and he has set us apart for some things. So if you're going to be a holy person, you're an individual who prays this prayer. God, let your will be done, not mine. God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not building my own kingdom. I'm set apart for God's kingdom. That's what it means to belong to him. By the way, quick application. Here's what it means for you. When you're wrestling through a question like, should I do this activity? Should I engage in this activity? Should I participate in this thing? Should I read this? Should I watch this? Instead of simply asking the question, is it right or is it wrong? If being holy means to be set apart, there's actually a better question to ask, and it's this. Will this activity help me live a life that is set apart? Not just from something, but for something. Well, investing hours of my time into watching this or reading this or doing this, does this actually help me be holy in the sense of set apart for God's purposes and plans? That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. Our second question that we want to answer this morning is simply this. How do we try to be holy? And there's two things that humans have always done to try to be holy. They do their best, and when they mess up, the second thing they do is they feel their worst, right? So the first thing we try to do 
to be holy is we try doing our best. Our default mode as humans is to try really hard. And once you realize that Jesus has died for you and you want to follow him, you kind of commit yourself to doing the best you can and, and trying as hard as you can to be the best Christian you can. But how many of you have learned that if you try to do that in your own strength, it doesn't work? It's exhausting. You'll be miserable. There'll be no joy because doing our best isn't enough. When my oldest daughter was growing up, she enjoyed watching SpongeBob. And uh, there was this, there's this one episode of SpongeBob uh, called Best Day Ever. And he's... He's, he's intent on having his best day ever, but his day keeps getting interrupted. But then when he looks back at the end of the day, he's like, you know what? It was my best day ever. And then he runs around. He's singing, best day ever. He's running all over. He's like a whole song you can watch. And I, I was watching this, and I was thinking, for a, Christian, uh, for a Christian, what would your best day ever look like? Your best day ever. I picture you, know, you wake up in the morning and your, your alarm goes off and it's, it's the new Elevation worship song or whatever, Bethel or whoever, Hillsong, and you wake up and before your eyes even open, you begin to worship God. You're singing in perfect harmony. It's just this beautiful spirit. The cloud of the Lord settles into your bedroom. And then you get up and you go into the shower to get ready for the day. And as you're in the shower, God begins to break your heart for the nations. And you're weeping and you're in there and you're interceding and you're crying. And then you come downstairs and you make breakfast for your family. And even though none of them say thank you for making breakfast, you bless them and you pray over them on their way out the door. And then you get in your car and you drive to work or to school, wherever you're headed. And as people are rude to you, in traffic and cutting you off and honking the horn at you, instead of doing what you normally do with your hands, you point your hand at them and you bless them and you pray over them and you ask for God's favor and protection to be on them. And then you get to work and you begin to share the gospel with all your coworkers. And at lunchtime, you get up on the lunch table or the cafeteria table in your workspace and you preach the gospel and 300 people come to know Jesus that day. And by the way, you're not eating, of course, because you're fasting because it's your best day ever. And then you drive home and you have a four-hour devotional with your family and it ends with just anointing oil being thrown all over the living room. Everybody's slain in the spirit and then you fall asleep. And as you're falling asleep, the last thought that enters your mind as you fade off is best day ever. And the Bible calls that, apart from Christ, in Isaiah 64, 6, calls that filthy rags. And Paul, when he's trying to describe all of his righteousness apart from Christ, he calls it human waste. Your best day ever apart from Christ, if you are not united to Christ, your best efforts, doing your absolute best, will not satisfy, will not get you the holiness that you need, doing our best. But the other thing that we do is we feel our worst. I remember this growing up, you know, having a deep respect for God, taught well by my parents about what it meant to live for God. And when I messed up, I felt terrible. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I would pray this prayer at night before I went to bed. God, if everything I did wrong today, please forgive me. And if there's anything I did wrong, and I don't even know I did it wrong, forgive me for that too. And I would feel really bad when I messed up. I'm, a, I'm kind of a child of the 80s. I was born in 78, so I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And if you grew up in the 80s like me, you know, like, one of the defining films of our generation is The Goonies. Like, that was, like, the, the, the movie for the 80s, The Goonies. And there's this scene in The Goonies where the, it's, a, it's a big treasure hunt. They're, hunt. they're going after pirate treasure. And there's the bad, of course, there's bad people in it. And it's a family, and they're called the Fratellis. And the Fratellis are chasing this group of kids that call themselves the Goonies. And they're all chasing to find this treasure and the Fratellis capture one of the Goonies, and he's this chubby little kid. His name is Chunk, 
and uh, they capture Chunk, and they get Chunk, and they sit him down to interrogate him. And they say to Chunk, spill your guts. Tell us everything. And Chunk is crying, and he's blubbering. He's like, "Ah, everything, okay, everything. It's a classic scene. And then he starts all the way back at kindergarten (laughs) and and, and confesses to everything he's ever done wrong that he never confessed to before. It's a hilarious scene. But I think sometimes we're like that when we mess up. We're just like, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad. And and we begin to just have a good cry and we begin to feel really bad. But the truth is, is that feeling our worst is not actually a path to holiness. Because sometimes we can have a good cry, we can say we're really sorry, but there's no change in our hearts. There is a difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance. And so how do we try to be holy? We try to do our best. We try to feel our worst, but neither of them will work. And so, you know, when you think back to the passage that we read earlier, it said that God blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. He lavished us. He set forth things for us. God made things known to you. He united all things. In God, in Jesus, you have redemption. You have forgiveness of sins. Why does Paul make God the central character of this passage? Because he's trying to tell us you can't do anything on your own to make yourself holy. God is the active participant in our lives. It's only God who ultimately makes us holy. We can't make ourselves holy through our efforts to be right. We can't make ourselves holy through our efforts to, to right our wrongs. Both of those paths are empty and exhausting. So how can we be holy? And in verse 4 it said that God chose us to be blameless before him. And I want us to remind us that the only way to be holy, remember, this is our main idea, union with Christ is the only way to be holy. But as we, as we get to this third question, I want to push in a little more and I want to unpack this a little bit for us to help us understand how can we actually be holy? Because you are found in Christ, you can be holy, but because Christ is found in you, you can become holy. So there's actually two ways to talk about holiness, and we need to understand this, otherwise this will, this will be a problem for you all of your Christian life. On one hand, the Bible calls this right here, that we are found in Christ and that we are holy. The Bible calls this, I'm going to give you a theological term, instantaneous sanctification. We know what instantaneous is, right? We live in a world where everything needs to be instant or we lose our patience. But there is a moment at which we place our faith and trust in Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says, And by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. We have been sanctified by Jesus' body and by his blood. But what I want you to see here is it's past tense. Not we are being sanctified, not we will be sanctified, but we have been sanctified. What does that mean? That means that at the moment of, what, here's another theological term, At the moment of justification, we are instantaneously made holy in the eyes of God. Justification is the act by which God declares sinners to be holy, righteous, because of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So you might wrestle at times with this question, am I holy? And if you're a Christian, the answer is yes, you are holy. You are completely holy. In the eyes of the Father, you are perfectly holy because you are in Christ. It's not that we are actually sinless. It's that God declares us to no longer be sinners. And it's based on the blood of Jesus. And in this way, Jesus is the anchor of our holiness. But more than just being declared holy, we're also called to live holy, right? So it's one thing to be seen as holy before God, but it's another thing to actually live a holy life. And that's, where, that's the tension we all live in, right? That's the struggle we're in. 
one of my favorite definitions of sanctification, which is growing in grace, is this. It's becoming, listen, it's becoming the person that God already sees you to be. It's becoming the person that God already says you are. It's becoming the person that God already treats you as if you are that person. That's the beauty of justification. We are declared and treated as perfectly righteous and holy in the eyes of the Father. And then you know what we do the rest of our lives? We, by his grace, we begin to live more and more like that person that God sees us to be. Look at this. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. This is very interesting. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ and called to be saints. He's, he's showing us here there's two levels of sanctification. You have been sanctified in Christ, but you're still called to be saints. This is where we all live. We've, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been made holy, but God's still calling you to live holy, to become holy, and to be like his son. That's why Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Christ in us is how we grow. In Christ, we're declared holy, but Christ in us, we become holy. So this is instantaneous sanctification. And this is, you can guess it, progressive sanctification. It's ongoing. So Jesus is not just the anchor of our holiness, but he is the engine of our holiness. Grace is not just pardon. It's also power. In 2002, there was a Jackie Chan movie that came out called The Tuxedo. I don't know if you watched it. didn't get very good reviews. I don't remember watching it. But in this movie, uh, Jackie Chan plays a character. I think his name was Jimmy. And he's a lowly chauffeur who drives this famous, uh, well-to-do man around. And the man, his boss gets in an accident. And Jackie Chan's character has to go back to his house and get some of his stuff. And uh, Jackie Chan grabs his tuxedo. And this is a magical tuxedo. And when he puts this tuxedo on, not only does he look like the man, not only does he look like he has the status of the man because of, look at, I mean, look how sharp he is. Look how sharp, you know, everybody looks good in a tuxedo. But this tuxedo gives him the power. And now he can do his, his fighting, you know, Jackie Chan-style fighting, because this magical tuxedo has given him the ability and the power to actually do those things. I was thinking about this movie, and I thought, in a way, this is what it means to be in Christ. When you're in Christ, it changes the way you look before the Father. It changes your status. It changes the way you appear, but it's more than that. It gives you the power. In Christ, you have the power not just to be holy, but to become holy. Now, how do we gain that power to live holy? And it's very simple. We need to see what it costs Jesus to make us holy. Our hearts need to be melted and moved. What, what did Jesus have to do to make you and I holy? Think of the cross. At the cross, Jesus Christ, the only holy one, was covered in all of our filth, in all of our sin, in all of our shame, in all of our unholiness. Why? So that the unholy ones, you and I, could be covered in his holiness. It's the great exchange. And the only way that we're actually going to ever find the power to live holy is to continually look to the cross and see the beauty of what Jesus did for us. To have our hearts daily moved and awed and really overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus and what he did to make us holy. Believing this is the only way that God's holiness can transform us and not destroy us. You don't want to meet God's holiness if you're not in Christ. It will be death and destruction. But if we see God's holiness when we're in Christ, it's beauty and it's wonder. John Newton wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He also wrote this short poem. I love this. 
He says, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Have you ever felt this way that your pleasure and your duty are two different worlds? What you want to do and what you know you should do. They're not in the same place. How do we bring those together, Christians? How do you shift from not just, I have to, but I want to? And the only way that we do that is by seeing his beauty. And then together those things will be joined to separate no more. So if you're found in Christ, it makes you holy. Now you and Christ, you stand holy. But as Christ is at work in you, you begin to live holy. And you know what happens? If you have the holiness of Christ, you'll never be comfortable in your sin. You'll never be able to rest in your sin. You always find hope in Christ and in Christ alone. And as we close, I just want to give you one final thought that will help you apply this to your life. Holiness is never just about you. It's always about others. What God does in you, he wants to do for others. Your holiness is meant to be a blessing to other people. Look at this quote from David Paulison. He says, to be sanctified is to have your faith simplified, clarified, and deepened. You need God, you know God, you love God, you see life, God, yourself, and others more truly. And to grow as a saint is to grow in actually loving people. How other people are doing matters increasingly to you. You care and you help. You know, there are some people who when they become quote-unquote holy, they begin to actually be more judgmental and critical of other people. They start thinking they're better to other people, and their quote-unquote holiness becomes an excuse for looking down on other people. But holiness is not believing you're better than everyone else. Holiness comes from knowing you are better than no one. But Jesus Christ came and he came to you and he saved you and he called to you and he rescued you and his work makes you holy. And as your heart begins to grab hold of that truth that Jesus Christ did what was necessary to make me holy, now all of a sudden you find the power to live holy because he's more beautiful than all the other things in your life. And you can live a life that honors him. Listen, here's what this means. If you think you are holy but you aren't growing in patience uh, towards people who are different than you, if you aren't growing with more patience towards people who are different than you, if you think you are holy, but you're not finding more love in your heart for people who the world would categorize as your enemies, then you might not be holy. You might just be self-righteous. You might just be resting in your own righteousness. And not in Listen, there's a world of difference between living a Christian life trying to achieve righteousness versus receiving Christ's righteousness hear this this morning. What Christ did for you is enough. It's sufficient. In Christ, you lack for no good thing. You have the righteousness of the Father in Jesus. We don't achieve it, we receive it. And once we receive it, then we begin to respond with lives of worship, surrendered and committed to his purposes and his plans. You're holy. You've been set apart from something. You've been set apart for something. And union with Christ is the only way to fully embrace and live out the holiness that God has for you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of respond, singing about how God keeps his promises to us. How do you and I find the strength to keep our promises to God? We have to always remind our hearts that first God kept his promise to us. We love him because he first, what? He first loved us. Everything we do for God is a response to what he's done for us. So let's stand together and we're going to close out. We're going to sing a song and then I'm going to come back and dismiss us.